Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. And we're back to you again with a Brentford preview. Paddy's looking resplendent as normal. I have just come in after a match, so I do apologize uh, for the cut of my jib. Um, I'm not like Paddy. I um, I just jumped straight on the computer here. I couldn't be waiting around in my hair with, with hair and makeup. Um, there's nothing uh, There's nothing worse and there's nothing that makes me want to not do a podcast than having my entourage want to powder my face beforehand. But, uh, <laughs> Paddy, how are you getting on? <laughs> I'm grand. I just threw my entourage out of the room so I could uh, sit down and have a chat with you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got Brentford at the weekend, Paddy. Um, we have. I suppose this was one that... We had bought your mark, I suppose, when the, when the fixtures came out. This is one we w- would go to and uh we would try and get to see live but just the way things have gone this side and the way things have gone the other side of the water it's probably just not viable just at this very moment uh to get over there just with with, with various different things that are going on at the moment so we will as always be watching in spirit and hoping that anybody who gets a chance to get a ticket and go to this game has the time of their lives of course yeah a lot, a lot of things stacked up against us i think on this one but uh yeah, I think safety force for now and just give another couple of weeks and let things settle down. Um, that and the price, the price of uh, flight wasn't too kind either. So, um, Michael O'Leary has to, has to make back his money somehow. Well, he, he won't be getting any money off me this weekend anyway, that's for sure. No, no, no. no. Uh, he might actually bring back that um, threat that he had where he, he said that he's going to charge people to go to the Jacks. Um, so <laughs> you were going to have to, pre- yeah, you were going to have to prepay. Uh, how many times you thought you need to go to the, go to the jacks, and then um, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't put it past him um to, to do that. But anyway, this isn't the air travel podcast as always. This is not um the air travel podcast of Pomegranate or whatever. I'm I'm way too tired to come up with a good uh, with a funny quip <laughs> for that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna quit when I'm ahead on that one, okay? Um and post production won't be able to edit that one out either. But we do have Brentford, as I say, we will get on to that in a moment because I think it would be remiss. We weren't able to do a team sheet tantrum, we weren't able to do a um a post-game review, all one hundred percent my fault last night, uh, due to work commitments. But uh Paddy, we played Barrow last night and we played with a very, very changed team. Uh, talk to me about it. Like I think, fantastic night. I think for everyone involved. Yeah, um, I, th- I think even for Barrow, it was a fantastic night to to get a Premier League team down there and uh, the good old atmosphere and good old slagging match. And I think Maddie Target got the brunt of it from from early on, which was a bit of fun. Um, but look, it's uh, 
it could be all in vain now that we know that we're we're going to play Chelsea in the next round. But um, to go out and score six goals is good for confidence. I think the most important thing to come out of it for me yesterday was the the game time for the likes of um, Matt Target, Freddie Gilbert, Tuan Zabi, Courtney House, Jed Steer, Conor Horahan, um, Philogene Bades, and Carney Chukmuika. The rest of them. Well, obviously, we'll get to Cameron Archer in a while, but for the rest of them, um, they were just topping up what they had. But, uh, yes, we obviously had a couple of stars of the show. Um, and where Angazi turned into Ronaldo for long periods of the game. And then we had our new hero of Cameron Archer, who managed mm-hmm. to score a hat-trick. And what a fine hat-trick it was, too. Yeah. Uh, just on the Chelsea piece, Paddy. We're unbeaten. Chelsea haven't beaten us uh, since the 21st of June 2020. So um, we're in the ascendancy against Chelsea and we're going to go, we're going to smash six past them again in the, uh, we're not even, we're not only just going to smash six past them again in the, in the Champions League. (laughs) There we go. In the League Cup, uh, we're going to smash six past them again after the, after the international break as well. So positivity is an all-time high for me at the moment, and it's because I'm delirious with tiredness. But that's okay, because it makes for good listening. Um, but you're dead right. No, you mentioned that I think the best thing about last night was seeing people get game time, this, uh, that we felt needed game time. Target was there. Got to see two and Zabia and House play together. Um, I thought they, I thought it was one or two opportunity or one or two times that they were a small bit shaky. Uh, I thought yeah. the two of them at the start, but uh, you know they didn't leave any massive chances in. I think Jed Steer only had one save to make, and it was a very good save actually from a snapshot from the edge of the area. Um, then we have Freddie Gilbert who got absolutely calved in an awful tackle by a fellow by the name of Bruff Brow. I don't know how to pronounce it. B R O U G H. I think they were pronouncing a bruff. Actually, I don't know what they were pronouncing because I watched the game with the sound off. Um, so it was uh, it it was a difficult one for me to watch. I was kind of watching out of one eye while I was looking at the computer screen. The other, um, so it was. Uh, but yeah, it was a horror tackle. He had two nibbles at him. He went high at the start, and then he just dived in. And I thought Freddie could have been in difficulty, but he got himself up, brushed himself off. I think at that stage, Dean Smith saw it and said, "Look, we're six 0 up." Hayden Lindley. Get him off, come on. And it was great to see him get a run as well. And I thought it was interesting to see him get a run at right back, considering that he's played in that defensive stopper type midfielder in um in, for the under 18s last year and, and and into the Premier League two team this year. Um midfield as well. It was nice to see Connor Horan have the have the armband. Who knows whether it's going to be his swan song. See what they did there, considering he played with Swansea last year, and you'd be expecting him to go back. Or uh and we saw uh Kearney playing in there as well, obviously replaced by, by his brother Caleb, who I thought had something when he came on. I was re- I was actually impressed with his movement when he came on, yeah. um, very much so. And they pushed, pushed Cameron Archer out onto the left as well to give him an opportunity to spearhead the attack, which I thought was really, really interesting considering Archer had... He, Archer only had two at that stage, I think. I think he only had two goals at that stage. Yeah. Um, But I, th- I thought for me, Amaral Ghazi, yeah, absolutely... Pick it a bunch. He should have been as well. You know, you know, he's he's in and around the Dutch squad. These guys cost nothing. You know, they're all just trying to get her borderline, uh, you know, borderline Sunday league team, to be honest with you. Um, but they gave it a lot, gave it their all. And another man I want to re- I want to mention as well, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I can really I'm really excited about him, and it's no no surprise. Jaden Philogene Bidace. Playing at that level, you know, he's just got so much enthusiasm for the game. You just see it by him. He chases everything. And what he did to win back the ball after Archer lost it for Archer's third goal was absolutely fantastic. And I can see him having a big say in this first team as the year goes on. I hope so. I absolutely do hope so. Um, Before we move on from this, I'd like to call out on Al Ghazi for taking the piss with that penalty. That didn't impress me at all. I thought there was no need for it. Um, well, if he did that against United, would you have said there was no? Oh, absolutely for fine, absolutely fine. But, it, but we were one nil up at that stage. Well, he'll, I, he'll, I, ne- he'll never do it against United, and that's the problem. So you treat everybody equally. Nah, no, don't feel sorry for Barrow. I, I, no, I, I, hundred percent. No, no, he didn't do no, anything wrong. No, haven't it? <laughs> you haven't got the balls to stand up against against who did he score one at the weekend? Uh, 
Uh, Newcastle. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't do it against Newcastle. Don't do it against Barrow. But that's just me being old school. You can't say he wouldn't do it against Newcastle. It's like when you're watching some of the league and the goalkeeper wants to come up and take a penalty. No, get back in your box and shut up. Completely that's different. Anyway, we're not going to have an argument over. <laughs> you can't. You can't say he's never taken a penalty for anyone else other than Aston Villa. He's never missed a penalty in in his career for anyone else. You can't say he wouldn't do it against Newcastle United until he does it and misses it. And then we can criticize the living shit out of him. All but we I'll want. tell you, a more a more athletic goal. <laughs> A more athletic goalkeeper would have hit the ground and still had time to save that last night. So he was very lucky too. If some butts, he didn't save it. So I know that. My, the, it's it's completely it's it's an unquantifiable metric. Um, I think it's brilliant, and I I want him to do it every single time he takes a penalty, um, and it just shows the great confidence. He didn't want to play it. No, I'm I'm only, I'm 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 having a crack off you here. Of course, I'm joking. Um, but he didn't want to play in that game last night. He just wanted to get it over and done with. You could yeah. see he was he was sour coming off because he had to play for so long and i you know you could see it in his face and the commentators picked up on it and they said uh, I, I was actually listening to this stage the commentators picked up and they said um oh look at him he's uh, he put in a professional shift or whatever and things were i think they said something like that put in a professional shift and there's uh you know, he was um can't remember what way they phrased it but they put it that, that he was doing his job for the team there's no way he expected to be playing that game considering they were resting nine of 11 starters or whatever the mm-hmm. case was. He was actually the only one that played from, well, from not, the weekend. He's not a guaranteed starter anymore, so... No, uh, no. And I think it's. No. I think that just goes to show to me that probably Leon Bailey is back for the weekend. Probably Ollie Watkins is back for the weekend. And Anwar Ghazi was given this opportunity to cement his place in the team. Yeah, and he's, he scored the goals, obviously, last night and, and at the weekend, but... His performances haven't been up to scratch for me for, for the first couple yeah. of games. Yeah. But I thought last night he drifted inside. He played a couple of true balls, which he never does. And I hope that I hope when he does get an opportunity again, that that's the kind of football we see him play because yeah. it's much better to watch than sulking out in the wing looking for the ball. Yeah, and that's true. He hasn't put together a full hundred, a full 90 minutes for Aston Villa so far. Um, so look, there's no harm, and and I think to be honest with you, he's a confidence player. So I think Dean Smith played him with that in, with that in mind. We've we've said it before. You know, if El Ghazi's going to have a worldy of a game by the first five ten minutes of a game, and having that against Barrow, scoring two goals, albeit one of them being a penalty, but the other goal was, uh, uh, you, you know, was a nice goal as well. And and look, it's it's all part of the confidence piece for El Ghazi. He gets off after fifty eight minutes, I think it was. He didn't barely broke sweat, you know. He barely broke sweat for the whole game. But then again, you'd expect him not to, like, because he's he's a fully formed professional footballer, and and some of those guys, as I say, from Barrow were being brought up from, you know, from from non-league football more or less uh, yeah. over the last game. But yeah, just on, on the penalty, cheeky from him. I was just having a crack off you there to try and uh, yeah, I don't like people disrespecting uh, anybody that. You know, is perceived to be weaker than them. It's it's not it's not on. It's not fair. That's just my opinion. That's my t- way of looking at I it. T- no, I I tell you a good. I tell you a story on that as well. And this is one of the podcast listeners may tune out on. Uh, Gaelic football here in Ireland years ago. I'm t- I think it was like 2004, 2005. Um, I wasn't even playing. I was only a spectator at it. But my local club had won the county junior B, which is the lowest grade of all. Of like it's the lowest grade of all. Ev- like it's literally it's as amateur as amateur can be and we'd won our county championship and we ended up playing the Kerry county champions they had had a wedding the night before the wedding on the friday before and a wedding on the saturday before and we played them on a sunday morning so it's a small town that had two weddings one day after the other they and they couldn't get the game moved so we were playing against a team that were doubly hung over and we were absolutely smashing them and in football, in Gaelic football, you can catch the ball. It's basically all goalkeepers playing around the field, just in case you don't know what it is. You can catch the ball, you can kick it over the bar. But one of the, the ball came in, and it's so taboo to do anything, quote-unquote, soccer style in the game. The ball comes in, and one of our lads di- hits a peach of a diving header at the back post, and it goes in, and their whole team erupted and absolutely kicked the living daylights out of your man inside <laughs> the goals. It was the ultimate sign of disrespect. He could have just tapped it in with his foot, but he's yeah. sliding, diving header at the back post. And we were up like by about 
30 points, I'd say, at that stage. But, uh, oh, yeah, our manager marched him into the dressing room afterwards and made him apologise and everything. Took him off, first of all, made him wait in the sideline, took him in and made him apologise. Sure, a man was black and blue. They absolutely kicked him. <laughs> to, they absolutely destroyed him. But, yeah, so, I, I, I you know, it's... Um, it's kind of a karma thing, isn't it? That you don't kind of show about um, when you're when you're doing something like that, especially when the when the golfing class is so big. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't the defining moment. As I say, Cameron Archer coming of age, first time, first uh, time playing for the for the seniors, debutante scoring a hat trick, all those things that were flashing up on screen. First person to score brace for in their first game for Aston Villa, and X amount the youngest person ever to score. For Aston Villa, like all these things, the second youngest person ever to score for us. Aston Villa, you know. And Paddy, if you were to ask major the majority of people to name who do you think is going to be the next striker from Aston Villa's academy to break through and to have a headline performance, nobody would have said Cameron Archer. No, and this is obviously something that's gone on a long a long time that we haven't set up and made no notes of because we would have said probably. Louis Barry and Brad Young, amongst others, and and now we have this this guy who's a natural born finisher, um, very good footballer, has so much in the tank there. So there he is, propping up and and, and scoring a hat trick on his debut, and it's incredible. Uh, I know the standard of opposition will, will be what everybody uh, throws back at you, but that doesn't matter. You're making your debut. You're coming up from from the underage setup, and you're scoring three goals. Fair play to. Keep it up, kid, because there's an, there's going to be opportunities there, and if he's still part of the squad, he'll get them. Yeah, he was on loan last year at Sally Hill Moors. He played 26 games, scored four goals. You know, as as an 18 year old kid. So, um, like he's 19, he doesn't turn 20 until December. So, like he's really only like 19 and a half. So, played more or less a full season with with Sally Hill Moors at 18 years of age. You know, on loan, yeah. scoring four goals. Um, what I liked about Cameron Archer was two things. I like you mentioned his finishing. His finish for the first one was absolutely exquisite. Um, like that's a that's it just comes back to him. Like we see it an awful lot. People skydoes into the into the stand. Um, I think one of the one of the the Barrow guys did it and broke the light. Um, you know, remember they had to have the light fixed. Uh, but, but Cameron Archer got over. The technique was perfect in the back of the net. Second goal gets one on one with the goalkeeper and chips him. You know that's that's ball. That's a confident man. And then the third one, yes, he lost the ball. Philogene Bades won it back. Philogene Bades's pass to him was brilliant. I think it went in between two players. It was a cut back to two players. And yes, he was there, but he had to absolutely drill it into the into the bottom of the net because he yeah. people converging on him. So that natural ability to strike the ball is there. It certainly is. Second thing I like about him is his after-match interview was actually really quaint and nice. You know, I like, I'm a real sucker for one of these, these guys who comes in there and doesn't want to act the Billy big man in that interview and doesn't give the canned cliche stuff. He was like a child. He goes, I don't even remember the goals. I'm sorry. You know, it happened so fast. I don't really remember the goals. I just really enjoyed scoring them. And then you see him in social media after when Danny Ing says, well done, Cameron Archer. He goes, thanks very much, Ingsy. You have to teach me how to do that bicycle kick. So, like, he seems like a real level-headed kid. And then the last piece that I love about him is he looks stocky enough to play in the Premier League, you know? He's not spindly. Remember when Gabriel Bonhoeffer broke on the scene? He'd let, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a big muscular uh, player that he was two or three years later. Yeah. Cameron Archer has a, you know, he's he looks strong. He looks built and he looks, yeah, he's not, he's not a giant. I'd, I'd say if I was to put a height in him, I'd say he's only 5'10". But... You know, looks looks like he's able to take the physical rough and tumble of the Premier League. Yeah, and and it it, it was physical out there last night, and it was a rough and tumble. Yeah. And uh, there was there was times when I thought the referee had lost the game. <laughs> you know, he letting tackles go that were absolutely ridiculous. And uh, there was one particular one the fella came through the back in the camber, and the camber lands on yeah. the ball, and he gives a free kick for a handball, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Great to see him step up to the to the plate. Um, love to see him be involved over the course of the season. God knows where we're where we're going to be at as as time goes on. But we, we may need him, or we may just need to put him in there and see what he's worth at that level. We may need him, is right because it looks like our uh, twenty one million pound striker Wesley is going back to 
familiar pastures to Club Bruges, and we spoke about this via text last night. Myself and Paddy don't always agree on things. I, you know, just to just let you know, but we never followed. We just we just agree not to disagree sometimes. And he's gone back to Club Bruges, Paddy, and and, and you felt there was a small bit of a strange move, I suppose, given what I suppose we've invested in him, and I suppose the league that Villa are playing, and to go back to Club Bruges. Do you think that's a step back for him, as I say? Um, the more I think about it, it probably makes sense. At at the time, I was a bit scratching my head going, that that just, well, you know, we, we don't know who signed him. Bear in mind when he, when he was signed and who was in charge mm. of signings and whatever. But I know if I was managing a team at, at that level of the game, to have it on my CV that a, a, a £21 million striker failed me or £20 million, whatever he was, failed under my watch or never got back from fitness or, you know, all those kind of things were going through my head last night. But look, if he goes back to Bruges, gets his, his momentum back, gets his fitness back, works on a lot of aspects of his game and most of all overcomes that injury, it will probably be a good move for him. Yeah, like Club Bruges won the Jupiter League, I think it was. It's called, but it's been rebranded. I rebranded now again, I think, to just something like League mm. 1 or the first... Belgian division or something like that. But they won it anyway. They won the top division in Belgium last year. They're going to be playing in European competition this season. Um, yeah. Unless oh, they've been knocked out. Yeah. Oh, it should be which would be great for him. But I think the biggest biggest reason he's gone back to Club Bruges is if you remember, and this I'm going to preface this with this is 100 percent my memory of an article that I read on Wesley. And this is not anything that I know about him. No one has told me this about him. It's an article I read about him. Wesley's upbringing was pretty difficult. His father passing away, him, uh, you know, needing treatment, I think, because of some issues with his legs, you know, not playing soccer until he was a young age, having to work, yeah. I think, making nails or screws or something like that before and tried to play football at the same time and then having this meteoric rise. And I remember reading that he had, because he had to be thrown into the limelight as being basically the, the man of the house at such a young age, that he's his his education suffered and he didn't have much of an education and what i'm trying to get at here is that you know not only just not having an education but sometimes having an emotional education from that point of view of just having to be such yes. a grown-up at such a young age when you do reach the pinnacle of sport like that when he's playing and he gets such a bad injury you know the mental kind of side of things and trying to get back to that can be really really tough and i know he did a lot of his rehab in, in brazil but now he's come back to aston villa and there's two 30 million pound strikers in his way. So from the psychological point of view, I think here, sending him to a club he's familiar with, sending him to, to surroundings he's familiar with, will allow him to ease himself back in. You know, we've all heard that certain players and certain, not players, but certain sports, you have a thing called the yips, specifically within, you know, darts or in, you know, singular sports. And, you know... I think that is. I think it's a really shrewd move from Aston Villa, if, you know, of sending him there. Once again, I'm not prefacing this that I know anything about Wesley. I just remember reading yeah. something like that. So from that point of view, and from player welfare, and from you know the uh, you know a wellness side of side of things, that's the perfect place for me. I think to send him, send him into a place of familiarity to be able to keep an eye on him. He'll know yeah. everything he's doing there. The acclimatization for him would be would be short. And he'll just be able to concentrate and get back to be the best damn player that he can be because that's what he wants to be and that's the best thing for him too. And look, we'll reap the rewards if he comes back. And if he doesn't come back, the same player, and let's mm. just say Club Bruges say, hey, we'll give you 15 million for him and we have to cut our losses on it, at least we're doing the right thing by the player too because uh, by all accounts, everybody likes him. He's a nice kid and and, and yeah. you know that he's 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 somebody that, uh, that fits in from um, uh, what you call a cultural point of view with the team. Yeah, and let's face it, like we were all fairly bitter when the injury occurred. Oh, big stuff. How it occurred and the fact that it went unpunished by a celebrity referee and three celebrity referees watching up in, in the gods and after the fact was never punished by despicable me. So he's he's come back, as you said, two thirty million strikers uh, in front of him. He headbutted a guy, well, if you want to call it that, that's what he was done for a few weeks ago. So I think he's feeling a bit bitter and a bit hard done by himself. So there's a bit of a long road for him to recover. And and one thing, you know, he's still a very young man. He's also a father. He's yeah. so much responsibility and so much going on in his life that, uh, you know, you have to make some kind of allowances for him. But um, 
yeah, look, it, it, it's probably it's probably the best for him. Um, we don't know how, how he's been getting on with training. We can only judge him what we saw in that match. And, you know, you could see his head wasn't in the right place when he was playing against Stoke that day. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I, I, and that's another thing as well. Yeah, like he had to grow up really, really quickly. He had a child of 14, mm -hmm. had another one at 16. And he worked at 16, he worked in a factory sorting screws, support his family. And then, and then this comes, look, this guy need, this guy is, is worth investing in, I think. Um, it's mm -hmm. he's he's worth you know he's worth investing in from a personal point of view people see that around the club yeah we give him we we like not us but football fans will give him stick and we'll say say crap things about him and stuff like that because maybe out of sight on the mind Aston Villa have progressed on from the club they were he still hasn't shown that he's wiped off the stain of that season where we were poor in the Premier League whereas people like McGinn People like um, like Mings, people like uh, you know, you go on through all those players that went on the next season to play in that team that were so exciting, even though we couldn't get into Stadia. He wasn't part of that team, so people still remember him as the tail end of that season when things weren't going for great for Aston Villa. And we stay up by by goal difference or a point or whatever it is. I can't even remember. Stay up by VAR on the last day, um, you know. So I don't think that's fair on Wesley. Um, he may turn out not to be very good, and that's okay too. But I'm talking about from a moralistic point of view, and I suppose looking at the full picture and not looking at it as as an Aston Villa fan or, or a football fan, where you might, uh, you know, you might just have an irrational dislike towards a player. I think from the moralistic and personal point of view, there's a lot more goes on with somebody like that. He's got a very, he's got his backstory is absolutely amazing, and I'd love yeah. for him to come good at Aston Villa. He's only 24 years of age, um, he won't be 25 until November, so you know he still has a lot of tread in the tires yet. And, and hopefully we get him back in his prime at 25 years of age and he can contribute to this team because we don't have a lot of people over six foot six or six foot three people in our team never mind strikers so so now that we have eight, eight players out on loan do we have to do a separate podcast for our uh, our loan roundup every week now absolutely paddy yeah <laughs> absolutely and um, we'll have to get you jesus we're going to have to get you uh, some frequent flyer miles now flying back and forth to bruges to be able to watch uh, to watch Wesley. Uh, Bruges is lovely yeah, we're this just time getting to park now to watch everybody else. That'll be the uh, most important thing this exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. And like let's you forget as well he scored 30 he scored he had a one in three record when he was with Bruges. He had uh, he was with Bruges for three years, played 107 games, scored 32 league goals. You know, that's not a bad record as well that and we're talking that was when he was between the ages of 19 and 22. Absolutely. If we had a 19-year-old striker that had a one in three record, or if we had a 22-year-old striker that had a one in one in uh, one in three record, we would be swinging from the rafters and chanting his name and saying, "Man, it's saying, feck off, Man City! Your 100 million is not worth anything to us." You know, so um, yeah, a lot of context in that. A lot of context. Yeah. I know people. I know some people won't agree with it, and that's cool. But uh, that's this, this is the side of the fence I sit at. Um, anyway. Anyway, anyway, but I uh, wish him all the best, and I, I have full confidence that he is going to tear it up out in, out in Bruges because, um, you know, he will have learned an awful lot here in Aston Villa, and, and he's going to be able to put it into he's, he's going to be able to put it into um, into practice out there as well. Yeah. We're talking twenty six minutes in the in Brentford preview, Paddy, and we haven't even spoken about Aston Villa versus Brentford. What's new? I suppose what's new. That's um, why people listen to us, Neil. That's why people listen to us because we uh, we like to listen to ourselves talk about everything other than the topic. <laughs> um, so let's have a let's have a chat about it, Paddy. What way do you think this game is going going to go at the weekend? Um, I have a small little tactical analysis piece done in a moment, but uh, what way do you feel it's going to go at the weekend? This will start off. Uh, do you think there's going to be any changes to the team? Do you think we're going to see any radical changes from Newcastle? I guess that depends on who's fit. Um, mm. If Leon Bailey is fit, sure. if he if he's had any game time behind closed doors or anything this week, God knows what they're at at this stage. Mm. Um, and and the same applies to Ollie Watkins. Probably the two of them don't come back in from the start. Um, although I would like to see Watkins if he's fit enough to to start because it it may open things up for us having him in there. Um, it, it also, with regards to the game itself, it depends which Brentford turn up. Will it be the high-octane game that they put against Arsenal? 
or will they bore the pants off us like they did against Crystal Palace? We we just don't know what what way they're going to line up to do that. But look, they've had a good start to the season. They're four points on the board already. You know, they're uh, they're the better side of the three that came up, in my opinion. Um, and it's going to be a tough game, no matter what, no matter what they decide to do. Um, personally, I hope we get the one that turned up against Crystal Palace because uh, I, I, I'm a little bit worried about how our defence would react to that that high press. And do we do we turn to a, a long ball straight away from Emmy Martinez? But look, we, we'll we'll find out that on the day, and that's out of our hands. So it'll just come down to what the, what team Dean Smith puts out there. And there probably won't be too many changes, but I would like to see Ollie Watkins back in, if at all possible. I can't disagree with that. I but I think if I think if Bailey is fit, I think we see Bailey um obviously off the bench. Be interesting to see if Ollie Watkins comes in because if Ollie Watkins comes in, we're really interested to see where the hell he plays. Um who gets dropped. Like, you know, bad and all as we were against Watford. Um we weren't we weren't you know, world beaters, or we didn't shoot the lights out against Newcastle. We had two shots in target, we scored both of them. One of them was a penalty, the other one was a bicycle kick. You know, um, do we do we take out Anwar Gazi after scoring three goals in two games? Granted, the two of them were penalties, and two of them were against uh, uh the lowest league, probably one of the lowest teams in the lowest league. You know, what do we do in that instance? Do we drop Bundia? Bundia has been the worst performing of those three probably over the course of the first two games. Mm. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be an interesting team sheet tantrum, that's for sure. Um, well, I, I think it will be what the latter of what you said there. I, I think it will be Buendia getting a kick up the arse because he, he hasn't been he hasn't been the Emmy Buendia that we've seen with Norwich. Now, maybe he is finding his feet or, and, you know, he was away mm. in international duty and maybe he hasn't got a full pre-season behind him, so... There's a whole lot of mitigating factors that could be there, but the, more, the long and short of it is he hasn't been great since he came in. So for me, it would be him that was bombed out. Brentford also as well played in the League Cup and they went 1-0 down to Forest Green. Um, they, they went 1-0 down to Forest Green, but look, you know, you can't really read too much into that. When you look at the team that they had out, they didn't really have any. They, they had Pinnock, Ethan Pinnock uh, played. Um Janela played in midfield. Uh, apart from that, you know, they they brought on Canos, Ayer, Onyeka, and Buemo all came on. They probably needed to bring them on to kind of rescue the game slightly, I think, because they went one nil down obviously after eight. Well, not obviously after eight minutes, but they went down one nil after eight minutes. They had to bring in Buemo to to get on and he got the second goal. He's a nice player, a really good player. And I know that Dean Smith mentioned, I know it was mentioned in the same breath as him, uh, if Brentford didn't get promoted, that some the Dwarf Premier League teams looking at him, I'd be surprised if Dean Smith wasn't because he's 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 a nice player. Um, it's going to be really interesting because Thomas Frank is the disciple of Dean Smith. Like, yeah, he's from the same coaching tree. He was brought in. Dean Smith brought him in, and Dean Smith is reportedly looking to bring in a Thomas Frank type character from the continent to to coach underneath him again you know to replace be it richard kelly or or um or, or john terry yeah. and it's interesting because i saw it in a couple of places that brentford haven't missed dean smith you know since they hired thomas frank and why would they considering it's the same you know it's it's continuity thomas frank's uh, played under or coached under dean smith and yes he has he had his own wrinkles don't get me wrong he's brought mm -hmm. in a lot of good things into the team he's brought a, on a, on, in a lot of good tactical pieces and he's a very good manager in his own right um but it's going to be interesting to see thomas frank versus dean smith you know because Dean Smith. I think, I think so too. Him, so. and you know when we spoke about it early on and the two of us wanted to go to that game that mm -hmm. was my motivation there's there's a whole lot going on with this fixture and you know, I, I think we probably will see, for that reason, we will see the high intensity, high pressing uh, performance that they had against Arsenal. Um, it's hard not to like Brentford. It's hard not to like Thomas Frank, you know, bearing in mind what they've done and, and how they got up there with a limited enough budget in a very small mm -hmm. stadium. Even a new stadium is very small and, they're, the, you know, the capacity is only just over 20,000, I think. But um, they come up playing decent football. Um, you know, they, they, they're, they're on the crest of a wave, having beaten Arsenal 2 0. They also beat Valencia in, in mm. uh, a pre season friendly, who are no mugs themselves. 
And as you said, they they couldn't read too much into what they did last night. Same as ourselves, winning winning against uh, non-league opposition. Forest Green are pretty low down the the, the league as it is. So yeah, it's um it has has the potential to be a dinger. And it was one I kind of uh, earmarked as probably you'd see live on the telly for for many reasons. But uh, with with Brentford being on first match of the season, that's probably why it's not. Yeah, um, it's 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 there's lots of wrinkles in it. There's lots of things that we'll be looking forward to. Arguably, some people will say that the Ollie Watkins money has helped to build the Brentford promotion charge of last season. Yeah. You know, it's allowed them to invest in other areas. I, I don't have their transfer history up here in front of me, but obviously we have their most expensive player of all time. Um, and it would be great for him to get back in the field. Does Dean Smith start him? You know, if that is the case, does he bring him on? <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's there's a lots of things there. It's not just Dean Smith. It's Ali Watkins. It's uh, it, there's there's a couple of things in this. And I'm I'm really excited to see um to see the outcome of this. And um, we mentioned about tactics there a moment ago, Paddy as well. Let's have a look at a little something I put together here. Once again, it's just very very simple piece. Wanted to see how they set up. So once again, my positioning maps. I think they're very very important. They give you a key and they give you an indicator into the way a team plays and the way a team sets up. Because you know you talk about Brentford being um. You know, they, they, they change formations. They play three at the back sometimes. They play four at the back sometimes. And, yeah. you know, this is their positioning map against Crystal Palace um, at the weekend. And we can see here that they had, a, it's it's obviously a four at the back and call it a three in midfield. It's not. It's a four in the back, four, two, three, one. Uh, that's the way it was played. You know, yeah. they played... Um, they played way more up top. They had Ivan Tony off him. They uh, they loaded the the far side against um was it against Ward? I think it was yes, it was. It was against uh, Ward, the the, the full back, and uh, they loaded that side over there with fifteen, who was uh, Onyeka and Canos uh, stayed over that side, obviously. And then they had it's it's actually really interesting to see how far forward uh, Christian Iyer came there. So arguably you could say it was three at the back to this where they actually lined up. It was four at the back playing Christian Iyer as a, a right-sided defender. But, mm. um, you know, Rico Henry creeping up on the left-hand side there as well. Uh, they really kind of left him on an island. Obviously, six and se- 27 inside there are Janlet and Norgard. So uh, I would expect Onyeka not to be anywhere near as far forward there. Number 15 that we can see, I would expect him to be not anywhere near as far forward. I expect him to probably come in to be a small bit more central against Aston Villa and try and crowd, crowd out the middle of midfield and break through Canos um, on the right-hand side. And, um, yeah, I think that that's I think that's really how they're going to play. I think they will set up something similar to this as well and overload one side of the field because, hey, Paddy, guess what? As we know, any team that's not expected to beat Aston Villa, what do they what do they just do? They overload one side of the field and they switch the play at pace. And that's yeah. what happens, and Villa can't cope with it. Or they haven't been able to cope with it historically. And like you mentioned Christopher Oyer there. I think he I think he's been a fantastic sign in front of um I know Christopher Oyer very, very well from his time at Celtic and and watching him. Um he offers so much defensively and in attack. And he can he has the ability to switch that, um, you know that back three into a back four very quickly, and he can play right full. He could probably play central defensive midfielder and at centre half. He's a big big guy, so uh, he he's been a great signing for him. A couple of weak links there. Well, specifically one, I think uh, I think we could get get up uh, Jansen. Mm. No uh, no great love for him from his, his time at Leeds. Um and uh, Pinnock probably not the finished article either. So I, I I would I would see that as where we could get at them. Um and the, the the best way we could get at them is by having Watkins and Ings available to us. And mm-hmm. I think that would be the telltale of what happens this weekend. Let's take a look at how Aston Villa set up at the weekend, just in comparison to this. So I've just done a little overlay once again. So here we have the Aston Villa team coming in here in red. Um, we can obviously see that the way that they set up is going to be a massively crowded midfield if we play the way we did 
we're obviously going to need to shuffle left slightly considering the fact that they overload that right-hand side, their right-hand side, our left-hand side, just like Watford did. I think Jacob Ramsey will be deployed a bit further back. He played in the eighth position yet last week. Potentially he's played as, a, as an extra pivot to create a double pivot with McGinn coming further into in central and with Buendia. This is, this is another reason why I think potentially he'll start with Buendia and maybe won't if it is a Mings and, and, uh, and Ings and Watkins to start. I think Watkins starts out on the left um, in place of El Ghazi there and we have a go at Ayer cutting in onto, onto Pontus Janssen I think that might be might be a nice uh, a nice avenue to go through there. Canos um, in front of in, in front of Ayer. On the other side you have you have Rico Henry in front of Pinnock. I just think Rico Henry is an actual defender as well. You know so getting down the side of of, of, of Ayer who yes he is good and he cost them a lot of money when he came down from Celtic, relatively speaking, um, you know he you can still get him turned. You could get it like he's he's a defender in the prem, in the Scottish Premier League. He drifted in and out of games because he wasn't being challenged. And to me, while he was a good defender, you can't turn that on. You can't turn that off. And I'd like to see him try and drift out of a game with Ollie Watkins snapping at his heels as well. So I don't think Watkins starts at the weekend. I think he goes with the exact same the same eleven. I'm not going to be spitting fire if that is the case. If he does do that, but I think that the I think that the avenues that we could bring on Watkins right wing, we could bring or bring on Watkins up top instead of Ings, give him a break. Bring on Brianley and Bailey maybe left wing. I think there's there is vast opportunities down that left wing, and um, yeah. if they are going to overload it and try and attack us there, I think you hammer the hammer and you 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 set a player up high like Austin McPhee had, um, Philogene Bades and um. And uh, El Ghazi doing, you set a player up high and you make them have to pull out of their formation that they want to play. So hammer the hammer on that side would be my advice. And uh, looking at the way we set up, who's going to be the most pivotal man in the whole team once again? Douglas Louise. Absolutely going to be pivotal in this. He's going to have to take Ivan Tony or Brian Embuema, who's putting a, who's putting off the two centre halves. If they are going to play this overload formation, our two centre halves have to be pretty free to move around. Specifically, Mings has to be pretty free to, to pick up that. Kanza has to be pretty free to maybe shuffle more into the centre. Douglas Louise has to be pivotal there in that middle middle of midfield position so that he can move back and forth, cover those guys, close the gap in between them if the gap gets too big, and uh, you know, basically just do a lot of donkey and unseen work. He's going to have to. It's just going to have to. Yeah. That's, that's exactly where I see him. You know, as you're looking at it there, where where the number 17 is, I see him dropping into that position mm. to effectively be a tree, you know, a short tree, not yep. a wide, yep. not a wide tree. So, um, just to compact that and 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 not let them run at us really, um, which is where they're at their most dangerous. But like, I I think I think this high press is going to be a very telling thing if 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 they do do it, I th I think we'll struggle, um. You know, I, I I worry about quick balls out to, to Mings and having a little bit of time to think, not having the time to think about it, I should say. So, look, it, we'll probably see Ashley Young back there as well for, for the old head as well. Hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's there's very little to worry about, I think, from that end of the pitch. But I, I think it all hinges on the availability of Bailey and uh, Watkins for me. And just just to change it up ever so slightly, and as you say, it probably won't be from the start. They're not going to put those boys straight back in, um, with the exception of Watkins. Watkins is one of those players who can be, I, I would imagine, can be out for a couple of weeks and come mm -hmm. in and play up there. It's just who he is. Um, Leon Bailey with a hamstring injury probably need to be a little bit more careful. And uh, what's the famous phrase that Dean Smith manages load? <laughs> so yeah, uh, they'll be managing his load. I'm sure of 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 uh, of how many minutes he plays. So it pro realistically, if needed, we'd probably see him for half an hour. But hopefully the game is over and we're and we're we're ahead by that stage, and we might need to give him another couple of weeks off going into the international break. Hopefully so. I think Brentford's pivotal man and a guy that we're going to need to look at, look for, and look to. As I say that phrase again, hammer the hammer is going to be number fifteen, Frank Konyeka. Um, he had a very good game against against Arsenal. He's come from Michelin, who we I I would imagine Johan Langen knows a bit about him. 
um, from playing. And obviously, they have an agreement with Michelin. I think through their owners, Brentford owners own Michelin as well, or something like that as well. Um, but he scored goals in that midfield. He's a tough tackler. They call him Frank the Tank. Um, yeah. So he gets around in here. With the high press, if you, if they do come with a high press, and, and I think they did come with a high press against Crystal Palace as well, but uh, Crystal Palace have a brutish team at times, you know, so they're not exactly... Well, I think what nullified the high press against Crystal Palace, and, and in fairness, I only saw, uh, I think, about seven or eight minutes of the highlights, was mm -hmm. that the, the goal kicks went long. So yeah. that ruled that out very early. Well, could you imagine if they played this formation, if they played the, the formation here with the overload to the right, and Amy Martinez just starts pinging them out here to Matty Cash? Um, maybe we might see something like that, but I don't think we'd go long. So, yeah, that is a bit of a concern because we don't have anyone to go long to. They could go long to Benteke, Crystal Palace could, but we don't yeah. really have anyone to go long to, especially if Watkins isn't playing. Watkins isn't there, yeah. Mm. But Frank Onyeke, that's definitely someone, and I, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, that's definitely somebody to to, to worry mm. about. Their press comes from Kanyas and Onyeke there, and and Buemo. And Buemo is very good. He gets he get he's, he's able to move around. Very like, kind of. I'm not going to say very like, kind of like an Ali Watkins. He's got great work ethic, and he just powers on, and he always ends up getting shots away at the edge of the area and hitting posts and stuff like that. And he had a couple of goals last season, but um. You know, this number 15. If we can quell number 15, yeah. and if we cannot let Jan, like Janlet and Norgard are just going to hang back. If we can, if we cannot let them nullify Buendia or basically just retreat back and stand on Danny Ings's toes, and mm -hmm. we're going to have to find a way of making them come out of their shell a small bit because against Palace, they just packed the midfield there as well. But definitely for me, Get in on top of Anyeka, Anyeka for first and foremost and early. Stop him from having an influence in midfield, and then allow ourselves, allow us to get the ball up to the Buendias, to the Ingses, to the Algazis, to the Watkinses, to the you know to the McGins of this world, and let's see what we can do. Considering we are now the established Premier League team, exactly. And as you said, there's goals in this guy as well. I think he has a, a record of maybe one and five or one and six with with uh, Midland. So. Um, we, we got to be careful of that too because he, he has them in his locker. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, the two strikers, while well, they've worked hard as well, haven't exactly set the world alight. So they, they'll be trying even harder to do it today um, or to do it at the weekend, especially Ivan Tony, um, who obviously is looking like he could be a player, but it's just I, I, it's a big step up no matter what way you look at it to come through the divisions from, I think it was Peterborough, wasn't it, then to to Brentford and, and then come up into the Premier League. So um, it'll be tough. It won't, it won't be easy for both teams. Um, it's going to be a very hard one to call when we when we look at it after the team sheet tantrum, but we, we'll save that till then. Uh, yeah, it's very hard to come up for, come up through the divisions, but uh, we have a guy who did it last year and got 14 goals in the Premier League. Exeter, yep. Brentford, and upwards. So listen, no, and and that's what I mean. It is hard to do it, but we've got someone who did it. Let's hope Ivan Tony doesn't come of age against us and get his first Premier League goal at the weekend. Because look, if we were to call a spade a shovel here as well, Paddy, you know yourself. If you're down in your luck and you're looking to score a goal, who's the best team in the Premier League to play against? Traditionally, Aston, bloody Villa, at times. So let's not be that team. Let's break that that um that hoodoo that we have um of being that team that everybody wants to play when they're down the look and let's let Ivan Tony stew over the international break and not concede a goal to him uh, at the weekend. Um I think that's gonna do it, Paddy. Uh for for a 20 minute podcast that we swore blind to each other, we were only gonna do at the very, very no. start. We've turned it into a 47 minute podcast and it is now almost midnight. Um, I've, had a, so, I've had a couple of messages, Neil, be, because we did a podcast on Monday and I didn't go through the lone player. So I'm just going. Oh to go yeah, 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 very, absolutely. Very quickly. Um, so we'll start off at Indiana Vasilev. Uh, played 67 minutes for Inter Miami's 3-1 win against Toronto without getting a goal. Uh, Louis Barry didn't play in Ipswich. 2-2 uh, draw with MK Dons was on the bench. Um, we had two loanies playing against each other. Tarek Royce played 68 minutes mm. for Salford, and Kane Kester Kane played four games. They were probably marking each yeah. other as well, which is which they probably were. Yeah, that would yeah. have been a very interesting one to watch. Swindon incidentally won the game one nil. Um, 
Finizaz played 87 minutes for Newport in a 1 0 win against Tranmere. Played for them that, tonight as well in a 8 0 loss against, uh, <laughs> against, against Southampton. Southampton uh, yeah. yeah, so. Um, and Brad Young was on the bench for Carlisle against Leighton Orient. And Acos and Odie put in a man of the match performance for Sporting Bromsgrove as they beat Needham 1 0. Yes, I probably have. Yeah, because there's tons of them. You didn't mention anything about about Reiki, about um, he's he's just gone on loan. Come he on, played. Paddy. So he, he played the big bucks for. It. Yeah, he went on loan, um, but I don't think he played. I don't know did he play. Actually, he probably might have even only gone on loan on Monday. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the start of this week, and you're gonna have Wesley now as well. You know to report on too. So. Mm. Um, so he will be there too. But uh, no, it's great to see our Lonies um, doing their thing and getting game time and contributing whatever level that they're at at the moment. You know, it's uh, Seb Revan, actually. We didn't hear about Seb Revan at Tranmere. Is he at Tranmere, I think? Seb Revan's at Grimsby. At Grimsby. Who didn't play, their match was called off. Don't ask me why. Very hard to find information about teams when they're at that level. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, excellent. That's great to hear. And it's great to hear that, uh, that at least some of our loanies are getting games and the other games are being called off. And I'm sure Seb Revan would have played in that game anyway. Um, I think that's going to do it, guys. I think it's going to do it for us tonight. We will be back over the weekend uh, with a few more shows. Check out Twitter for our lineup as to when we will be going live um, at the weekend. Uh, we have an international break coming up after this weekend. We're going to do something for uh, before before we we go, but we are going to take a few days off over the international break, um, and uh, just recharge the batteries slightly. Um, but we've got a lot of football. There's a lot of football to be played between now and then. There's a lot of things to go down as well in the transfer market. So we will be bringing everything to you before that. But maybe the start of September, we might take might take a couple of days off just to re- recharge the batteries. But uh, thanks so much to everybody for everything you do. Um, really appreciate all the interaction on the podcast. As always, please continue to share, to like, to subscribe to us on YouTube. Really, really love everything that you do for us. And we will continue to to knock out these podcasts uh, because the, the reaction is so, so great. Um, so that's going to do it, as I say. Brentford at the weekend, coming to Villa Park. If you're lucky enough to get a ticket, I absolutely am envious of you. But I'm also um, so delighted for everybody that gets to go into Villa Park and to cheer on the Villa boys. Go out there and make all the noise. Make sure you are the 12th man on the field. And let's roar Aston Villa to a victory at the weekend. And all that's left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.